Hello and welcome back to the We Need Therapy podcast. On this week's episode, we are joined by my sister who shares her experiences of living in Vancouver and working with victims of domestic violence. Please note, this episode discusses some serious themes of abuse and violence against women. Please see the show notes for resources for support. Well, today, another special guest joins us. And this one's a bit personal for me. Well, I feel like I'm seeing double. (laughs) (laughs) So my sister's joined us all the way from Vancouver, British Columbia. Hello. First international guest. Yes. Yes. Thank you for paying for my travel. We're not paying for your travel. We don't make any money from this. Can you believe it? Yeah, well, Jordan's unemployed now, so there's definitely... I can't believe I came to this two-bit podcast. <laughs> I know, a tin pot studio. <laughs> so I guess we should probably introduce, yes. I guess. What oh, is, yeah. Yeah, what is your name? Namasaya what? <laughs> we all Tamara, have- my name is Tamara. I'm Jordan's sister, his older sister. Yes. What's the age gap between the two of you? 20 years. <laughs> No. Maturity-wise? Two, uh, two years. You were born in 90? Okay, we don't need to. I was born in 92. Yeah, Has anyone ever said that you guys could pass as twins? Yes. Yeah. Remember we when we were in San Francisco, we took that photo. We looked almost identical. Yeah. Um, we can post that on socials, actually. That will be the first time I've ever posted something from our socials. Oh, oh no. posted about your sister and your family. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I've been on your socials, what, the last four years, and it's always you with, like, naked guys. Yeah. That is Not my sister and family. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough about me. Um, so, Tamara, tell us what you do and why you're in Australia. Why you're in Australia, I should say. Uh, I'm here visiting family and I just had a baby. So, yeah, I brought her to meet my family and oh, she hadn't met George before. It's the first time Bub's come to Australia. Yes. Yeah, Zoe's here. She's here. We travelled on a plane. She's walking. She took her first steps in Australia. Yes, she did. did. Mm -hmm. So it's been really exciting and it's been really nice. And um, I like living overseas, but I really miss having family around, especially now. So where are you currently living? Uh, I live in North Vancouver in BC. Yeah, we've lived in Vancouver for about on and off for nine years. And yeah, I like it. It's a cool place to live. A really cool place, and I'm going to visit in a couple of weeks. So yeah, I'm so excited. Looking forward to a Canadian summer. Yeah, true. Fun employed now. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I joked with Josh before of like, you know, when you're unemployed and you do that post, fun employment begins now. Oh my gosh, please don't do that. No, obviously that would be the worst. Um, It'd be so you though. Yeah, I don't cringe. think so. See, I'm anti-cringe, I think. Yeah, but you're a very white girl. Yeah, mm. basic bitch. Yeah, probably. Yeah, but I'm unemployed as of like 48 hours ago, which I is I cannot crazy. believe it. Yeah, I pretty exciting. Didn't ex- well, I was curious to see how you'd go when I left our job. Yes, our job. We're doing co job responsibility. Well, it's quite <laughs> it's quite often people lump us as one person. You know, people often um, call me Josh in emails. Even if I'm in the middle of a conversation with them, they'll go to, hi, Josh. I'm Even like, people that have known us for like five years, they I'm, still call me Jordan. I know. That's, okay, a, that's a compliment nothing for you. Alike. Yeah, but in therapy, there's not many dudes that mm. work in, uh, yeah, in yeah, the Yeah, which should make space. it easier to separate the two of us. Yeah, I know. And one of us is Asian. Like, we don't even look similar. No. Anyway. I'm way more attractive. Mm-hmm. But I guess I don't mm-hmm. see that over email. Let's let, <laughs> let the listeners decide on that one. Well, this um, is the end of our era. 
for you working I, together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It was We've, very weird, like, the last few weeks getting around that thought because I'm so used to having my partner in crime and mm. you know, oh, four sad, years of having a really sad. strong OT physio relationship. Yeah, just not a strong OT or physio. <laughs> 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 We've got this strong relationship. We don't have the work Maybe that's skills. why everyone sees us as one person because the two of us together. Combined, we almost make up one person. <laughs> we, actually, we actually have to share our salary. 50-50. <laughs> yeah, no, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be different not working with you and like you're with the company for how more, how many more weeks? Five more weeks. And mm. then you're jetting off to Germany. Mm, but then you're jetting off before me. Like I this know. is how this is meant to work. This is classic you just like, I have something yeah, that I've booked the in attention. for so long and he's like, no, nah, I'm going to quit before you. I'm going to leave the country before you. Absolutely. You know, when you were just, I know we're doing my life updates, but as you just raise your arm, I just realized something. You've got a new tattoo. Oh, yes. Yeah, tell us about that. I do have a new tattoo. So I actually took the day off work to get this tattoo early in the week. (laughs) Is that boss going to listen to this? Does she know? Yeah, she knows. And like the fucking tattoo artist rang in sick that day. (laughs) No. So I was at home twiddling my thumbs being like, what do I do now? Is that a self tattoo? Did you do it yourself? Prison break style? So people can't see the tattoo, but it's actually a Freddo frog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, self-portrait then. (laughs) Anyway, Kermit, tell us what you got. Okay. So as, as you know, I only get things put on my body that has a story behind mm-hmm. it. Very meaningful, isn't it? Just like those genital warts. <laughs> <laughs> so this one is actually a Celtic symbol, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get something that represented this transition in life of me going to Germany. Mm. Mm, she's transitioning. I love it. <laughs> so this actually represents friendship. So I wanted oh. something that I could remember all the people back here that I'm leaving. And describe it for our listeners. How would you describe that oh my God. shape, so, symbol? So when I posted this picture on uh, social media, mm. a few people commented <gasps> and they said, it's oh, not man. like they said it looked white pride or anything. It kind of looks like that kind of Nazi stuff that someone's like, oh, it looks oh, like no. a swastika. Yeah. And I'm like, does. I'm so paranoid now going to Germany. <laughs> Ooh, it kind of looks like a few like snakes intertwined. Mm. Well, it's actually, so the reason why it's friendship is because it's all one line and it's like an infinity symbol, but intertwined. Right, okay. But now I can't get that swastika out of my mind. It doesn't look that much like a swastika. I think because it's really dark as well. Like once it fades, it's going to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you are going to get the actual swastika put to the side of it, aren't you? So you still saved room for that. Right, no, left, no, left no. butt cheek. Yeah, yeah. Are you still doing the Nazi salute next to it or? Well, I can't because I'm ethnic. Oh, okay. But you could get it ironically. Could I? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the reaction been like from your family, from your friends? Well, I didn't really tell anyone. Well, I tend to not tell people before I get tattoos because, let's be honest, most of these tattoos look shit. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I laughed straight away. <laughs> I was like, no, they look good. <laughs> I think it's going to look good when you get your whole sleeve done. Like, But see, I didn't understand. I, I've never had a sleeve. I thought you did it all in like one go or at least you planned it out, but you're mm. adding to it. Mm. Like as you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, like overall, because at the moment you've got from your elbow to your wrist yep. and some people do it to the shoulder. So you're going to keep it just elbow to wrist? Um, I don't have any plans to add to the collection anytime soon. Oh, okay. Um, do you think you might in the future or just as something comes I along? could imagine maybe something in Germany when I come back because like I, I like to have something that's sort of like a life milestone. Yeah, to well, represent your time. Hold up then. that again. 
I mean, that already looks like a bread not pretzel, doesn't it? So what <laughs> the fuck else are you going to get? What, what, are, what, is, what is classic German that's not related to the war or the Holocaust? A bratwurst sausage. Yep. Oh, yeah. That would make, yep. you'd go really good in so pride. Maybe I should tattoo my dick. Uh, that's a chipolata, I thought. <laughs> um, what else is German? That's Oktoberfest, beer. Mm. Oh, a stein. stein. No, that's, that's very basic if I get a stein. I think it's probably on brand for you. <laughs> <laughs> what else very is German? Good. Um, um, Beethoven, Mozart, they were German. I thought they were... Mm. Uh, Maybe they were Austrian. Yes. General European. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, do you know what I should get? What? Like a plain tattoo on my neck. Oh, okay. New beginnings, new adventures, yeah. new experiences. With like stars coming. Yeah, out of yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Those stars are quite common for no, not not common, but you do see the gay guys get them on their hips, like on the hip bones. Oh, they look lovely. really bad. Oh, I just forgot you have tattoos on you. Uh, no, not here. I have them on my um, ankles. Oh, Wait, I was thinking you wanted to get. Do you yeah. remember when you wanted to get those tattoos? I know when I was like eighteen. Wait, what did you want to get? Just to make sure everyone knew you were gay. Yeah, in case they didn't star tattoos on no. your no. pelvic bone. No, did Jordan tell you about them? No. Why would I? Of course I wouldn't. It's the worst <laughs> well, idea ever. But you can ever. tell us right now. <laughs> he was gonna get, uh, like, you know, the male symbol. Like, like the, the arrow. circle oh, and yeah, arrow, yeah, yeah, but yeah. like on his I was like gonna get a, lower oh hips, so you could just see them above, like some low rise jeans, and then he'd pull them <laughs> low down. Low rise jeans, <laughs> or and like the arrows pointing, yeah, like, to let people know he was gay, just in case they didn't already like, know. Oh, yeah. immediately. <laughs> yeah, all he has to do is open his mouth, and people. <laughs> he ran that idea past a few people in our family. And we were no, like, I just Ooh. said I was thinking about getting like there is a, a gay type of symbol. Well, there's actually a couple. Um, some people get this like pink cross, which is apparently oh, yeah. what they used to get in the concentration camps. So that's kind of cool. That's more meaningful than what I was going to get, which was the just The theme like, of this episode is touching on very, very... <laughs> yeah, quite serious topics. Anyway. I just, I had forgotten about that until just Wait, now. Tamara, has he told you about his latest, well, the latest thing that he wanted to do? Oh, Jesus. What's this? He wanted to dye his hair blonde. Oh, did I, no. I didn't tell you that. Yeah. No. no some, it will, you look like, remember, our family member who dyed their hair blonde? Yeah, I do actually. No, so my hairdresser said to me like a year ago, he's like, oh, you sh- have you ever been blonde? Like everyone should just do it once. And I That's was like, terrible advice. I I've was not like, even heard that. I, no, that's the worst advice I've ever heard. I think it was just like he just said, oh, it's, it's, it just feels really cool and like liberating mm-hmm, to do. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know what? I don't reckon it would look good, but... I think it would be cool just to do something different with my hair. I've basically had the same haircut for like mm-hmm. 30 years. And then we booked it for ages, like months in advance. And then I had a whole bunch of life changes. Like I became mm. single, I bought a house, and then I resigned from my job. And the week that I resigned from my job, I was meant to be getting it the next week. And I called him up on the phone and I was just like, there is no way I can walk into the office with platinum blonde hair after going through all these life changes. Like mm. it's going to look like I'm hanging on by a thread. But, um <laughs> Because if you were to get blonde hair, would you grow your hair out? I thought yes, to give it a bit more of an like an effect. But mm. he said that it's better with short hair with my type of hair. But I would mm-hmm. peroxide it and then dye it darker again, like a sandy blonde. Oh, you would have looked like um, Justin Timberlake. 
Yes. Noodles. Yes, yeah, early yeah. 2000s. Like, they get double the denim. Well, I've never dyed my hair before, and I feel like it's something that I'd like to experience because you've dyed your hair before, and you have as well. Mm. Yeah, but not that. Yeah. Not blonde. <laughs> not, yeah, we haven't bleached our hair. That's, yeah, that's different. Mm. I mean, just sit on it for a bit. Well, I didn't do it, but didn't stop you guys from making fun of me for it. <laughs> you, you did bleach your asshole though. <laughs> That's revolting. <laughs> I don't even know how you know that exists. Not for me, but just for the gay population. Are you on gay Twitter again? I told you to deactivate well, your Why account. do people bleach their assholes? I don't like, know. The, I don't know. You are the spokesperson. No, I, I don't, I've never met anyone that's done it. Have you done it? Have you done it? This is a weird conversation to have as siblings. A little bit, yeah. I'm not sure. Because I think like porn stars do it because of the aesthetic or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've been doing some market research, haven't you? (laughs) When I have a question, I want to find out the answer. (laughs) And you turn to Pornhub at every stage to find that answer. You're like, oh, I wonder if it's in that video again. I better (laughs) rewatch. Anyway, enough about schmutt. Let's move on to next topics. We've touched on it before. I am now unemployed, which is pretty exciting. And, yeah, going on a huge holiday, bit of an adventure. Yeah, so what you're going to join your sister in Vancouver. Yeah, just for a few weeks. I'm not going to live there, but I am going over for the Vancouver Pride Festival. Ooh, so yeah, we'll be hitting it, hitting it up. If we have any listeners in Vancouver, I need some friends. So, yeah, hit me up. I don't think we do, though. I think yeah. you're the only listener. Yeah, I, I will try and get oh, some wait, of my friends. After this listen. episode, we're going to go big in Canada. Yes. Mm. I know. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. So, yeah, good do times you, ahead. Do you know what I just realised? What? We have two weeks left together. Mm. Oh, my God. Because goodness. you're not going to be back before I leave. No, I planned it that way. <laughs> This is it for us. He's quit his job. He's uh, we are he's going to eat, pray, love, Julia. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I totally am. Julia Roberts. So if I was doing eat, pray, love, I'm going to Vancouver. That could be eat. eat? What's Where would well, you're pray? you're going to pride, so pray. a lot of eating there. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> Absolutely revolting. Um, pray. In Northern America, is there any kind of very spiritual places that you can think of? I'm sure there's a couple of churches. <laughs> Have you ever done a podcast before? You do need to be a little bit more. <laughs> uh, okay, that that that. Bit I don't know. Really is, is is Canada known for its spirituality? I don't. In the mountains? Uh, probably not. Okay. <laughs> Again, didn't work. Okay, right, love let's, surely. Moving on, loving. It's been about three weeks. You're due for another hookup. <laughs> He's keeping tabs on me. It's because he was the one three weeks ago. And he can't get over. <laughs> yeah, that's me done for about three years. <laughs> um, yeah, loving. I don't know. All right, moving on from that. That was terrible. Mm. Tamara, life updates for you. You've had a baby. Yep. I had a baby. How old is your daughter? She is nearly one. Yeah, it's exciting. Is this the first child within your family? Yeah, first grandkid on our side. I think mm. it's the tenth grandkid on my partner's side. Oh wow! Well. <laughs> yeah, they do like to have children. So you had a one-year-old flyover from Vancouver here to Perth. Yeah, well, she yeah. was accompanied by her parents. She didn't do like <laughs> self-checking or anything, did she? And I think if I had known what it was going to be like, I would have second guess my decision to come because it was wild. Oh, really? On the plane? Yeah, it was wild. Like, uh, because at that age, they actually share a seat with you? Yeah, you can buy a seat, but 
you know, you had to pay for it. So we just had her on our lap and yeah, it was nuts. It was a lot of me or my husband walking her up and down the aisles while the other person tried to sleep. Oh my God. Mm. Or like asking people on the plane to hold her. Did you have the bassinet thing? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Did she sleep in there much? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's such a long flight. Like she slept for nine hours, but she's still awake for nine hours. Do they have bassinets on planes? Yeah. Yeah, they do at the front. At the front. Oh, there you go. That's why well, a lot of people don't want to be in that mm. that couple rows because if they have any babies, that's where they get put. Oh, is it that flip that. up? Thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. For small babies. That's yeah. where I put my like magazines in. I thought it was, <laughs> oh, this is a fancy magazine. Hold <laughs> <on>. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're flying business a lot now. So you're flying business again for your trip. Whoa. Yes. I tell you, I'm, I'm, so I'm going Singapore and then Singapore up to Helsinki. But because of that fight path, it goes directly over Ukraine. Mm. So the plane actually has to go around the country and it adds two extra hours. Wow. Which I think is good value because I'm flying business anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who are you flying with? Like Helsinki Air or something? Qantas to Singapore. I've not flown Qantas in like 15 years. Mm. Oh, really? Um, I thought you flew – this is is such a boring topic. I just realised. It is, yeah. I thought you flew Qantas, the points thing, to Europe. No, that was um, – I used Qantas points, but that was Singapore Airlines and Qatar. Okay. So I'll be uh, Qantas and uh, Finnair. All right, cut that out. It's really boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, except I'm thinking of um, – I made my friends watch Up in the Air with Gwyneth Paltrow the other day. Do you remember that no. that, that movie that – you remember your friend used to be obsessed with it? It was called Up in the Air and it was – I've never heard that movie. Which friend? Char. Remember Char used to love that Gwyneth Paltrow movie? And it was like, no, you guys made me watch it. She brought the DVD over and it was like Gwyneth Paltrow was a flight attendant and her friend swapped the entrance exam. So she had to fly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I was thinking. And you reckon my story was boring. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think, yeah, I think it was. (laughs) Wait, so are you flying to Vancouver business? No, I looked at it too expensive. Ooh. No, but I well, flew back from Europe economy last year and it was okay. So I survived. So oh. I oh my gosh, Jordan. Was that the start of the downfall of your life? Like, <laughs> oh, it was It was going downhill way before that. Well, Tamara, so. you actually told me a funny story yeah, about Yeah, I just time. can't believe you got banging on about travelling business class. Mm. When the first time I got you into business class, <laughs> do you remember that? When we flew back from Brisbane? I do, And yes. we were in the Qantas lounge and Jordan, was 16. so excited he went through his phone and called everyone on his contacts list <laughs> just to tell mm. them that he was travelling business class like Kath from Kath and Kim oh yeah. my god what? it was too cute I was 16 and I just I remember you were like um hello I just I just want to let you know I'm travelling business class oh my god I could so imagine that it's pretty cool when you're 16 to travel business class. Oh uh, yeah, it's still cool. <laughs> to call it's still cool now. Contacts. Oh, by the way, I'm from I'm in the uh, business lounge at the airport. Okay, okay I gotta go. Bye. Let me turn it back on you. We didn't have social media back then like we do now. Yeah, you do. When have you to fly call business and on social media, what do you do? Everyone knows yeah, you, you post, post a, a picture, picture with your legs in yeah. front of the TV and you get the little sweets. So people still do the same things. They just do it in a different way. So in many ways, I'd say I was leading leading the mm, way, leading mm-hmm. the charge. Mm-hmm. I was a, <laughs> I, I would say I was a change Who was the consultant. most obscure person you called? 
Uh, I think I only called like three people. Two of them were probably my best friends and one of them was probably mum. Yeah, you definitely called mum. Maybe you called grandma. Yeah, because we went to Melbourne once where you and your now husband at the time boyfriend took me to Melbourne. Yes, we did take you to Melbourne. We've been on a lot of holidays together. Remember we went to New Zealand together? Yes, we did. That was That was a trip that me and my boyfriend planned and my mum spontaneously invited Jordan along and herself. And yeah. then we went to Italy and mum oh my God. and you came as well. Oh, that was the, the family reunion. We did go to Italy. We went to Samoa. That was when yeah. you were living in the family. We like, went to San Francisco. Oh, San Crabs Disco. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's a cute little name that we have for San Fran. <laughs> San Crab. San Crabs Disco. We had such a good time. We did. It's good. It was, we've had a lot of fun. Yeah. Good times together. Me so, and Jordan are very close. Yes, we now. are. Will you be going with him to Pride? Yes, yes absolutely. definitely. I've been trying to get Jordan to come to Vancouver Pride for years. Yeah, that's it true. It is one of my favourite weekends of the year. It's just a giant party in the city. Mm. Yeah, because I hear up in Canada, the gays are pretty, like, strong <laughs> up there. Yeah, they're what? there. I don't know what that what was. <laughs> there gays are gay like people in Canada, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gay confirmed. Canada, tick. <laughs> No. There's your spirituality right there. Well, I don't know what it's going to be like at uh, Vancouver Pride. I've done Pride on quite a few places. Mm. Sorry, I was thinking of New Orleans. Sorry. Yeah, they're really close to New one Orleans. another. Just yeah. a quick drive. Not even in the same country. No, but it's somewhere and foreign. different up the, up directions. Would it be like a 20-hour drive between them? Yeah, be crazy. Okay, no, no similarities. <laughs> I'm uh, sure there's gays in Canada too. Yeah, 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 redeem yourself. Good, good, good. You have to come to North America, Josh. You haven't been before. No, I've never. Like, I'd love to go to Canada, but but America, it's never been something that mm. I'm like. Yeah, it's it's a kind of. I understand because you like yeah. going to Europe, don't mm. you? Different culture, whereas America is basically the same. That's what I think a lot of people think, but it's it's bloody wild. Because you've lived there how long now? Uh on and off. Maybe um, nine years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went to Laos in Southeast Asia for a year, moved back, went to a small town in rural Tasmania for a year and moved back. So it's our recommends corner again, back by oh, popular fun. demand. Can't wait for this invigorating chat. <laughs> Don't do that. Cause <laughs> yeah, recommends. I hope everyone's been reading, watching and listening because we're going to do our recommends corner. I'll start us off. As usual. Okay, watching. Mm-hmm. I've been watching the latest uh, series of Black Mirror on Netflix. Oh, very scary. good, very scary. Have you ever watched the show? Uh, we watched one of the newest ones a few weeks ago. Oh, which one did you watch? Can't remember. Okay, um, <laughs> no, it's really good. Black Mirror is uh, is fantastic. It's kind of like almost sci-fi in the future. Which one's your favorite episode? Mm, oh, the one with the there's the, the first one's got Annie from Shit's Creek that plays. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a pretty good one. You should watch that one. It's about ne- it's actually about Netflix, like doing Ooh. Inception on Netflix. It's oh. very cool. Trippy. Tamara, have you been watching anything? Yes, I. Well, anyone who's talked to me for five minutes knows I love trash TV. Mm, that's true. And the trashiest TV of all is Ninety Day Fiance. Ooh. I don't know if you get that in Australia, but it's just. Oh, we get so it on um, some of the trash channels. Yeah, yeah. it's my kind of thing. New so what's out. the premise of it? Uh, basically, Americans who can't find love in the States uh, go through online dating and find someone in a different country and then that person has to come to America and they have to get married within 90 days. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
because it's the 90 day fiance visa. Oh, yeah, it's and TLC that. films it. Um, TLC are really good. Oh I watch a lot of stuff. Just, Maybe I should apply. That would be my ticket to America. It's so good. And there's like a whole bunch of spin offs. So it's like maths. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think it is like yeah. that. Okay. Very similar. Sounds like a good one. What about you, Josh? What do you have to recommend? What do I have to in terms of watching? Yeah. Well, I don't watch any of these shows, but uh, it's been a very interesting time of year for sport. Like we're getting Has into it? the pointy end of the footy season. <laughs> oh, the ashes okay. are on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we have a lot of listeners that are really passionate about both those things. So please bore us for the next few minutes. See, this is what happens, right? John's like, oh, we need to do recommends. But like, yeah, and then I he have bags nothing, you out. Yeah, I have but, nothing in common with our listeners. But so. not mm. a straight well, who, male who recommends. Are your listeners? Females and gays. Mm. I actually don't mm. even know why I'm on this show. <laughs> you might fall into one of those categories. I'm not going <laughs> to tell you which one it is. <laughs> Because I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Tell us what's your straight male recommends. Actually, okay. So podcast. Is it going to be like, I don't know, 4X gold beer or something? Yeah. Like, yeah. Fucking kill me. There's this anti-gay podcast that I'm listening to. <laughs> no. Um, so because I'm learning German and I think mm. this is a really good recommendation for people who are learning new languages. There's this series called Coffee Break. They oh, okay. have different languages. So Coffee Break German, Coffee Break mm. Italian. And they basically like teach you how to speak different languages. They go through grammar and whatnot. Mm. Very good to listen to. How is your German coming along? You did a little bit um, probably about four or five weeks back on the on the podcast. Mm. Conversational yet? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to message some of my German friends and just practice. Ooh, that's language. really cool. That's really cool. Great. Um, but I still really struggle with verbal conversations. Just mm-hmm. because my brain doesn't think. Well, you struggle enough. with verbal English conversations, so I don't know how you're going to go in German. <laughs> well, I actually had a little freak out the other week. Oh, I did was you? Like, oh, like, you know, what's it going to be like to date overseas? And so I went on this like well, big Google tangent. <laughs> what came up? And they're like, "Oh, it's very hard to date in Germany." And I was like, "Fuck! <gasps> Why? Um, because you kind of have to be very good at the language, and uh, yeah." Well, you're not good at dating in English. I don't know how you're going to be. Yeah, I don't know why I thought if I go to another country, it'll get any better. Yeah. Anyway, what are your recs? Okay, last two recommendations for me. Um, I've been reading a book. It's called Selfie, How the West Became So Self-Obsessed. Oh, my gosh. That is the perfect book for you. It's his autobiography, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. Um, no, it's really good. I, a friend recommended it to me, my friend Sarah, friend of the podcast. What have you learnt, Jordan? Well, it's actually quite a serious topic about high suicide rates in oh. Western societies. And the author is making the argument that when there's a disconnect between some of the values that were mm. began in the um, 1900s and through modern day um, psychology, when those values aren't met, then there's these really high suicide rates because, yeah, it's quite it's quite deep. It's quite dark. It's got a lot of like, yeah. yeah. A bit of nighttime reading before you mm. knock off, eh? Yeah, well... No, I'm not going to make that joke. Um, yeah, so that's really good. And what else am I reading? No, no, two podcasts Listening to recommend. To, yeah. Science with Dr. Carl. Oh, ABC I love one, Dr. Carl. Really good. And the other one is, did we do this before? The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling? No, I think you we did. haven't. We haven't. Oh, you just spoke about it to me. Yeah. No, we haven't spoke. We've wanted to do a podcast on it. All three of us have now listened to it in its mm-hmm, entirety. Mm-hmm. What what are your thoughts on that podcast, guys? Absolute must listen. Mm. Yeah, Very fascinating. I, yeah, I was hooked because Jordan suggested it to me. And what is it about, Tamara? Can you give us a description? 
Well, it's the first two episodes are quite interesting because they kind of give an overview of how it was in the late 90s, early 2000s when Harry Potter had just come out and some of the – it was kind of gives a social commentary on some of the issues that were going on and mm. how the alt-right and Christian groups were at first really against Harry Potter because they was, thought it was promoting witchcraft and just – I don't know, it was just an interesting commentary on the time, I thought, and it kind of took me back to that era. Mm. And what's the rest of the podcast about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those first two episodes are not I really... I actually completely forgot they touched on what that. to do with the rest? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the rest of it, whatever. No, the rest is about J.K. Rowling and just kind of, yeah, her social downfall, I guess, in the media and some of the comments she's made and the backlash and um, the interviewer kind of goes into... It's an interview with J.K. Rowling and she answers some of the questions and goes, yeah, it gives reasons behind her intentions and mm. stuff like that. Yeah. I think the main buzzword I'm looking for, it's it's about kind of the identity of trans people. <gasps> he said it. I, I mean, oh, that's yeah. what the podcast is about. I think some people might not know that J.K. Rowling came out with a few comments mm-hmm. and basically this is her version of her story about her upbringing and and the way she looks at things like gender transition and mm. reassignment surgery and facial feminization and things like that. So I feel like that's important to put in there. Yeah, I don't know why I left that yeah, out. I, just, I was <laughs> like, it sounds like a podcast about the 90s and that's not what it is. Well, I found it just a fascinating conversation to have. And I know we've spoken about it before around the, the trans movement, obviously mm-hmm. being pro-trans LGBTQI. A nailed plus. It. Oh, <laughs> terrible. Oh, fuck the A plus. Cancelled. <laughs> no, well, the A is for asexual. Mm-hmm. What's the plus? Why Why is that in there? Like asexual is like a lack of sex. Well, there there is like a movement to be like, there are a few letters in there. What's the plus? Uh, everybody else, I think. Oh, well, can't they just say L plus? L plus. Lesbian plus. Plus, plus, plus. That could be a, the name of a bar, actually. Mm. Um, no, but a few people say, why is the A even in there? Because the asexual is like a lack of sex. So some people say, like, it shouldn't be included. But, yeah. Classic gays. So you like, left it off no. deliberately because you, you knew that argument. Anyway. So anyway, I, I, yeah, so it's all about how JK is actually a very passionate feminism and her beliefs around the trans movement was because of Yeah, her protect. history. Yeah, and- which was in episode three. I was going to get to that. Oh, <laughs> fuck me. You know, the episode is eight hours long. I think Tamara was doing it in its long form. I couldn't remember. I was just trying to stall. Well, she has been in a previously domestic violent relationship and I think yes. that's what sort of shaped mm. her experiences and views. Which I think gave a good insight into some of her views and it made it clear that she was kind of one of those, you know, the old school feminists who had to fight a lot for women-only mm. inclusive spaces and then you know, felt quite threatened about that space, um, mm. you know, being taken away, the risk of that, mm. uh, including those spaces open to trans people. I think when we say shared space, I think some people might be scratching their head, but particularly mm. JK was talking about women, female-only bathrooms in yeah, public-use bathrooms. Yeah, like, um, domestic violence shelters. Oh, yeah, that's and, right. You know, those kind of spaces that... Well, that's yeah. a good segue because you used to work in some of those spaces, didn't you? Yeah, I've worked at a... Yeah, I've worked at a women's shelter for a number of years and at the moment I work in the domestic violence field, mm. social worker. Yeah. Are you a social worker? I am. Oh, my God, there's a big reveal. Fellow Allied Health. I did not know that. Yeah. Was yeah, I, I inspired George to I think I was that. doing physio when you joined social work or is it the other way around? 
I can't remember. I'm pretty sure I was doing physio. But yeah, yeah. Wow, there you go. Jordan has tended to copy me. Okay. <laughs> so, so you're a social worker and you work within the... Yeah, I work uh, within a police station in Canada. I'm not going to say where because I didn't get clearance to come on this podcast. I don't <laughs> want to get in trouble. So tell a us. very big Canadian city. <laughs> <laughs> so where, like, no, no, sorry, where? So what is an average day looking looking like for you? Good question. So when I'm at work, I'm on maternity leave at the moment, but I work with three police detectives within the domestic violence unit and we respond to high-risk domestic violence calls. Wow. Yeah, so typically that's when someone's been kind of stabbed, strangled or shot, mm-hmm. um, more of the higher-risk stuff. So we review the 911 calls from the night before and then we pick out the cases that we want to go and follow up and I'll, we'll jump in the police car and go and find them. So what is the the idea behind having you there as a social worker? Because a lot of people would mm-hmm. say like, okay, call 911, you'd expect police officers to attend mm-hmm. and you're also in the back of the car. Or maybe you're driving, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely not driving. I have crashed many a police car. They do not let me drive. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That's going to be another 911 call yeah. in, in, <laughs> all, in all itself. <laughs> Um, well, I think it's just the recognition that domestic violence is such a complex issue and we need to support survivors as much as we can. And I think, you know, myself being a social worker, working with police detectives, we both bring something unique to the situation. And, I, you know, it's about recognising that the police, they're not trained specifically to deal with these issues. And I think they've kind of become a catch-all for people calling 911 and mm. they can't you know, they, they are really good at responding to some situations, but not necessarily all of them. And I think, you know, my role is to work with the survivor and kind of attend to their needs and, you know, the police deal with also with the offender. Right. Okay. So you kind of have that two pronged approach. Yeah. And I think you just need collaboration because we work better together. Absolutely. Question from my end. I've like attended a lot of domestic violence workshops and, oh, have and, and you? whatnot, but I, I'm not nowhere near an expert, but I know some of the triggers that can happen for people who are victims. Mm-hmm. When you go out with the police to investigate or to interview, are those police officers male or do you try have female police um, officers? I, our office has majority female officers. We do have some male officers. Um, I work with well, one male and two female officers. And we try, like, we know kind of um, the barriers and, you know, we know that our, like, our approach and our appearance is important. So they wear plain clothes. We usually drive a plain police car. It's non-marked. We'll mm-hmm. come knock on the door and maybe say, hey, can we take you out for a coffee and have a chat about what's going on? Like, you know, we're not barging in there. Mm, a very soft approach. Yeah, and usually, like... If the woman isn't comfortable with the police officers, I'll meet with her by myself first and they'll wait in the car. And, you know, it's only when she's comfortable that she'll meet the rest of them. We kind of, it's very like individual focused. Mm. Because quite often, sometimes the victim is still living with the perpetrator. So when you come up to a home, I imagine it'd be quite... Well, we wait. So typically when there's a 911 call, like the night before, the police will go and a patrol member will go and arrest the offender they'll stay in jail at least overnight and then we'll go in the morning, so before they get out of jail. So we'll have that opportunity to kind of meet with them, answer questions. Mm. And what does it look like? Like I know you've 
been part of that process when someone has pressed charges and gone all the way <clears throat> through the courts. Mm-hmm. What's kind of your role as that process moves forward in the legal system? My role is always to support the woman. Usually I think, um, you know, domestic violence is a gendered issue and most often uh, men are the offenders and women are the victims. I don't love that word, but we'll just use it because that's what mm-hmm. uh, they use in the court process. So my role is to support the victim with whatever they want to do. So that can be even reuniting with their partner or leaving them and moving city and starting a new life. Oh, it's so such a anything in between will do. Like we've done some pretty weird stuff. Yeah, oh. like social work is just such a significant, so important job. Especially yeah, so within broad. That space yeah. Because when it comes to domestic violence or relationships, there's so much imbalance in terms of resources, access. Mm-hmm. A lot of women aren't in that financial position to leave mm. their partner. Mm-hmm. What do you do in that case when someone doesn't have access to financial support? Is there charities or non-for-profit or even government grants or sponsorship? Yeah, yeah. We try and link them up with community resources. I mean, probably the same as here. There's not enough, but we try, um, yeah, and make it, make it work as best we can for them with, you know, the options that we've got. And we will support, like I will support a woman with whatever she wants to do, even if that's, you know, getting back together with her partner. But mm. we try and figure out ways we can do it safely or at least, you know, have a conversation about, um, you know, the the cycle of violence or provide some education and stuff like that. What is the cycle of violence? So in a relationship characterised by domestic violence, there's always like a nice honeymoon phase and then the tension kind of builds up and there'll be maybe a violent incident and then the, you know, the offender is very apologetic. They might send flowers, try to win the person back, that kind of thing. I think it's just a recognition that abusive men aren't abusive all the time. Like there's got to be a, a nice phase to the relationship. So. Right, okay. So there's peaks and troughs yeah. and it's dynamic. Yeah. And it's constantly, yeah, moving and evolving. Mm-hmm. Wow. So by the time that those people reach out for support, they're usually dealing with many years of abuse. Yes. Wow. Because quite, quite often when it comes to DV, in terms of the person reaching out for help, it doesn't really happen until quite late, whether there's been incidents that have happened yeah, over time. Yeah, sometimes it, yeah, you know, it can have been going on for a long time. So that's why I think I have that flexibility in my role and the police officers do as well that, you know, this time you reach out might not be the time that you leave, but at least you've had a good experience with the police, you know, hopefully a positive experience with the court system and you know that help is there. So when, you know, that person is ready to leave, they know that, you know, we will support them. Mm. So it's like long-term relationships, some of the clients yeah. we work with for years. Yeah. Mm. And it might be not till like the fourth or fifth, you know, 911 call that they're ready to, you know, do something. Well, it's also that follow-up afterwards, right? Because yeah. quite often because of the way the system works, especially when there's kids involved, the woman doesn't really have a career mm. set up. They don't have the financial support because, you know, the, the man has always been that breadwinner. Relationship. I'm just thinking of, did you watch Made on Netflix? Was that I, an accurate <laughs> representation? I think so. I haven't actually watched it because it was, it was filmed in Victoria, which is very close to Vancouver. And I just, it just was a bit too close to home for oh, me. Oh, <laughs> okay. That, have you watched Made on Netflix? No. It's fascinating. It's yeah. very deep I think somber. But basically, yeah, from the, from the outset, it, it looks like something's wrong. And then as you progress through the episodes, she attempts to leave, but it does mm-hmm. take many times. 
And it's just, yeah, it's a heartbreaking representation of that cycle of violence, I think, yeah. as you were saying. And because, like, due to the nature of you know, domestic violence relationships, the victim is usually quite isolated. The abuser has like, created that environment where they can't mm. reach out for help. They're not that close with family and friends anymore. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's harder to leave. So why do you work in a field like this? Because it sounds like doom and gloom. That's what people always say, but it's actually a really fun job. Right. In what Um, ways? I think I love it because you get to see like the strength of women as they overcome these, you know, really horrible situations. And, you know, I just, I love that. I think that's such an honour and such a privilege. You definitely get to see, you know, the best of human behaviour and also the worst, but Mm. Yeah, it just reminds me every day of how strong women are. Do you ever work with male victims? I've worked in this job for maybe seven-ish years and I've had one or two. Right. And what is there, is there a different way that you approach it or is it exactly the same? It's similar, but there's a lot less uh, resources for men, mostly because like the most of the shelter spaces are women only. Oh, okay. So my dad works within the mental health space and he's Ooh, quite close nice. with um, a lot of social workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't. we don't really come across too many social workers in our current line of work, do we, Jordan? No, because they're not funded very easily mm. through our funding body, but they used to be. I but I find, yeah, social workers, I've always said, is one of the most difficult jobs to have and because within our space, like OTs tend to be that person that case manages. Mm. But historically, you know, if something's too hard as OTs, yeah, like, oh, it's like it the, the general catch-all, yeah. especially in a hospital. Yeah, and like the stuff that you guys do is just so amazing and so integral. I'm curious: is the work that you do in Canada within that practice context different to Australia when it comes to domestic violence and the supports? I'm not sure. I think. I think in Victoria they have a similar model with a social worker teamed with a police officer. So I think, you know, I could do the same work over here, but I definitely, um, you know, I, I, there's def- there's problems with the Australian and the Canadian system, but I like I like working in the Canadian system. And How, how uh, about having to mentally switch off? Because they're quite confronting situations and stories that you have to listen to and, and go through. Yeah, that is a good question. I've definitely struggled with that over the years. You know, hearing kind of like the worst of human behaviour can definitely, yeah, stay with you. And I, I have found that hard. I feel like riding my bike to and from work has been really good for that because it kind of gives me like 40 minutes to just forget about it. Before I go home, mm. are there any things you do when you get home? Like whether it's a ritual, like a self care one, even just like I don't know, running a bath on days where it's really overwhelming. Um, or yeah, I do journaling a bit or something. Yeah, yeah, I do. I yeah, I have done journaling over the years just to like kind of get it out of my head. Mm. Is burnout high in your profession? Yes, very high. Yeah, and the fact that you've worked in it for seven years as well. Mm, I think I work with a really great team of social workers and police officers. I yeah, I really um, have positive things to say about them, and well, I think we support each other. It's still very difficult because the work that you're doing with your clients, like as you said, it takes at times a couple of years to go through that whole process. Mm-hmm. For myself and Jordan working in disability, you know, we're quite long term as well. Yeah, and it also, and I don't know if you're going through it now when you're in the middle of a crisis with a family, but you yourself have to leave your job or move on. Mm-hmm. I that really is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine in your yeah. line of work. Because sometimes it is life and death. Like, you know, it's hard just to leave that, that Well, work. even if you were to make a decision to come back to Australia, 
Mm. Like I can imagine you'd have to process all these women that you've been helping and almost you, you don't want to trigger that scheme of abandonment, which mm-hmm. maybe a lot of them would go through. Mm. Yeah, that is true. It's a hard, yeah, it's a hard field to, to leave for sure. Mm. So there's been a bit of discussion and commentary around headlines in the media when there's a domestic violence story mm-hmm. or violence against women or gender yeah. violence, however you want to put it. What's your kind of comments on on those or what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's interesting that you just use the term violence against women because that's commonly used in the field and quite an accepted term. But I think it's important that we emphasise that it's men's violence against women. Like mm-hmm. let's put the subject at the start of the sentence because that's where the focus should be. And I think when we say violence against women, it frames it as like a woman's issue and then... I think yeah. lots of men kind of tune out because they're like, oh, that has nothing to do with me. I'm not going to take any responsibility. When really it's a men's issue. It's, you know, overwhelmingly men who are committing these crimes and are causing these issues in society. Yet it's kind of like sidetracked as like, oh, that's, you know, women's only stuff. Yeah. And I have heard an argument against that being that male on male violence or mm-hmm. men being victims of violence and abuse is, is it statistically higher than women. Like... I've heard an argument similar to that, like, what about men's violence? Yeah, but men are committing that violence against other men. It's not women. Yeah, which makes it still a a men's issue. Well, it's also that (laughs) argument around, oh, what about International Men's Day? Oh, Oh. gosh. (laughs) Don't get me started. Oh, you're wearing that T-shirt now. (laughs) Are you listening to Andrew Tate? (laughs) That's going to be my fourth uh, tattoo, actually. I don't even know who Andrew Tate is. I had to listen to him. What is it about? It's just like an alt-right. Men's and podcast. He's an Amer- American. Oh, is he Australian or American? I don't know. I don't listen to it. I just. Yeah, I don't he's a very outspoken that. white male. That's just. Okay. Yeah. yeah, white men on podcasts. They're so angry. The worst. Is that all you want to say about the headlines? Yeah, and just I think you know in the media when they're reporting on you know women dying in domestic violence situations, it's always like this woman was murdered. Yeah, when really the language should be, we should be putting the subject at the start, like man murders woman, man rapes woman, like mm. this woman was murdered by her husband. She didn't to just make die. It, to make it seem like there's a direction, there's a causal relationship between exactly, what happened. Exactly, like where are we putting the blame? It's not like this whim, this woman, sorry, women and woman, this this person, this lady died in a vacuum where nothing else existed. Exactly, it's like yeah. you know, somebody did something to her mm-hmm. and we're going to call it out for what it is. To that point, like with domestic violence situations, when it's reported about, it's often, you know, the media often says, oh, the man, you know, snapped or it was because of jealousy or, yes. you know, he had mental health issues. When really when you dig into it, it's like years of domestic violence and coercive control and there are a lot of signs. It wasn't a one-off incident, which I think... Oh, you think the media often lets the man off yeah. with a kind of an explanation of when why there was behaviour? Yeah, they call it, you know, a one-off incident or he snapped when really it's, you know, it's domestic violence and like, you know, we could have intervened. Yeah. There were so many signs. You don't just wake up all of a sudden one day and snap. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's usually a long build-up. Why do you think that there is that societal not expectation but pattern within the media to portray women in that way or to portray men as having behaviour that's caused by X, Y, or Z? I think it's a norm in society that, you know, we excuse men for a lot of their shitty behaviour and, you know, chalk it up to like one-off incidences when really it's like, you know, it's a long-standing pattern and we need to have men accountable for their actions. Tamara, I have a question and I don't know if you have the answer to this, but 
from your experience working within this space and working with a lot of these survivors, do you have a hypothesis as to why men tend to have these behaviours or I don't know how to best phrase that Yeah, I think it's a societal, you know, cultural problem that we need to educate younger girls and boys about healthy relationships and what that looks like. And I think in media and Hollywood, a lot of problematic relationship behaviours are romanticised, like stalking Mm. and extreme jealousy Mm. and stuff like that. I agree. When really that's not okay. And we need to be teaching young kids, like, this is what a healthy relationship looks like. This, you know, these are normal relationship behaviours and these are, these are concerning signs. Well, this goes back. To, I, I mentioned this on the podcast. I think we may have edited out, but I was re-watching just to think about how Hollywood portrays young relationships. Mm-hmm. I was re- re-watching season one and two of The Hills, which yeah. we used to watch when we were growing up in Love that angsty teen phase. But I realised the, the behaviour, the way that relationships are portrayed on that show is dramatic, lots of fighting, yeah. lots of like stalking, obsessing, mm-hmm. checking phones which we saw as romanticised yeah. when we were kids. And so I know when I was in my early 20s, I spent a lot of the time trying to recreate the drama that mm-hmm. existed on shows like that and the OC and things like that mm-hmm. because I thought that's what relationships were. And mm-hmm. I thought that if someone was treating me poorly, then there would be that period where they would beg for forgiveness and that it would all be kind of good in the end and wrapped up like it was in the episodes. But in reality, that kind of living that kind of cycle of relationship violence and drama and everything that's wrapped up is just actually really fucking toxic. Yeah, it's not healthy at all. But that's what is often portrayed. Yeah. That and reality then I think- TV is drama, 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 and it can lead, it, it can escalate into something very quickly that goes from being dr- you know, dramatic on scene to like on on screen, sorry, to violence. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, sorry, I've not seen the OC, but I'm trying to get my head around that example do you have any concrete things that you saw on tv and how that sort of shaped what you've just said Mm, look i mean if you haven't seen the hills or the oc it's probably quite hard but there there is a lot of like on-screen fighting between like lauren conrad who was the main character spencer and and heidi spencer and heidi and the type of guys that lauren was dating and the way that they would like basically use coercion control what we now know as gaslighting you Mm -hmm. can actually see it played out on screen for those characters. And it it was entertaining at the time to watch it, but I look back on it and I actually realise how toxic it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm not surprised that gaslighting is so prevalent now, knowing that there was a generation that was educated on relationships through shows like this. Yeah, I've just had a bit of a light bulb moment there, chatting to some of my friends earlier in the week about a couple of guys that they've been seeing or previous relationships that they've had where the females have always sort of chased them and they've been so dismissive and sort of breadcrummy mm-hmm. and how that's almost a behaviour that they're like, oh, I just can't help but want to chase that. And I don't know if that's Absolutely. It's really common. It's mm-hmm. really common in friends our age, I think, to want that, like what people would often say as a spark in the relationship. But that it's kind of drama. Cat, and, cat and mouse game of yeah. like... I've got to be the one that's always wanted at all times. But then the flip side is that when you have someone who wants you at all times, you want, you call them like a stage five clinger Mm. and then you want a bit of like cat and mouse where all of a sudden you want to chase them. And Mm -hmm. that is not a a storyline that you tend to see in older generations. And I think there is some research about this that, Gen Xs, Gen Y have have very different values and their relationships tend to look 
quite a lot different. You know, I can't quote this, but I did hear it on a um, relationship podcast that was saying like the difference between Gen Ys and Gen Xs when it comes to one of the main things when it comes to relationships is Gen Xs are looking for that secure type of attachment. And I think Gen Ys are looking for that avoidant. They often have that avoidant attachment theory. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff we could go into here, but it basically Mm -hmm. means that you're forever pushing the person and then pulling them away Mm. over and over again. That's interesting. And uh, do you think the representation within media currently for this next generation of kids, has that changed? Look, I don't, like I'm not on TikTok and I don't watch some of the big prevalent shows like, I don't know. Because there's a Married lot of dating shows now. And mm-hmm. first dates. I don't watch any of that. But it doesn't seem like the things that are portrayed in the media on screen have gotten any better. Mm. I don't know if I I've gotten worse. More, I don't know. I think there's more education around what a healthy relationship is these days. Okay. Compared to when we were growing up, I'd say. Well, like we know about gaslighting. Everybody knows about gaslighting, yeah, which is good. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot more education about, you know, domestic violence. You know, I think the culture has changed as to like, you know, what is okay. Yeah. Mm. But do you think the, like the, it's portrayed any differently or are we always Mm. seeing the main character constantly flicking through a Rolex, not Rolex. What's the thing we flip through? Business cards? Whatever. Just flipping through different. Whatever. Or do we, I mean, no, I'm not saying do we, we still see the the main character like flipping through a selection of people because they're totally scared of being alone. But that is a storyline that's always been there. That's just drama. That's just drama. Mm. But I just, yeah. Anyway, I feel hopeful about the direction. We have shows like Bluey, which I've never watched, but apparently it's very wholesome. (laughs) But it's still, it's still premises around that fear of being alone, right? Absolutely. And I think that maybe that's the underlying thing in media. Like, oh, you know, there's always a love interest. There's always that romance because, you know, we need that drama. We're addicted to that. Mm, Yeah. And what my psychologist was saying in relation to me, by the way, so you can have this (laughs) for free, is that a lot of people settle because they are scared of being alone, essentially. So they're partnered up with people who are not the right match. And over time, it becomes slightly irritating to completely, like, you just can't stand it, like nails on a chalkboard. Mm. And their their traits become so much more exaggerated. And because they're not compatible with you and because you're so afraid of actually being alone and taking that time, then it turns into really toxic situation ships. Mm. It's like a little buzzword at the moment. But yeah, well, it comes back to that age thing and even what we talked about last week about the body clock that females have as well around, you know, oh, I need oh, to settle, like I need to make this work yeah. because it doesn't fit yep. my time frame over the next few years around wanting kids or wanting mm-hmm. a relationship or marriage. Mm. That's why you should freeze your eggs. Okay. Is that what we got <laughs> out of it? <laughs> <laughs> no, last week there was a whole pros and cons. Um, Tamara, to go back to the original question that I said, do you think that uh, the issue with why it, it's highly prevalent within the male population is mm-hmm. around males resorting to anger so quickly and not having that emotional awareness or that ability to communicate their frustrations. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because, you know, when you talk about domestic violence, lots of people kind of position it as an anger problem when I really think that's not the case. If domestic violence was related to anger, the men would be taking out, you know, their anger and using physical abuse on everybody in their lives. But they're not beating up their boss or their best friends. They're beating up their wife you know, in their own home, in private. So I think it's more about controlling women because they do have, you know, they have control over when they use that anger. Like 
what type of anger that is. You know, they might hit them on their body where no one can see, so there's no evidence. Mm. Like I think yeah, anger is like yeah, a yeah. – I think that's like a lie that people perpetrate to right. try and dismiss the issue. When I, it's I think not. It's actually a control issue. It's about mm. men wanting to control women and using – whatever, you know, force they can. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think this is just my OT lens around, you know, the way that oh, we yeah, understand yeah. anger Mental is what health. we see. Mm-hmm. But underneath the surface, it's like an iceberg, right? It's yeah. wanting to control maybe, you know, the home environment is that safe environment where they know that they can sort of Yeah, they can get away with that. it. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you talk about domestic violence, lots of people assume, oh, it's related to anger, it's related mm. to drinking. When it's not, it's all about control. It's mm. about men wanting to control women and using whatever uh, tools th- they have. I think that one of the, as you said, positive things about the generations now is that we do understand how prevalent control is through that mm. coercive control yep. and then, you know, gaslighting as a mm-hmm. tactic. So, yeah, maybe there is hope. Yeah, well, it's hard because we are being more educated about it, but it's the individuals that are in that position and doing it that they're not the ones that are have that education or that awareness around, you know, these are the behaviours that I might have issues that I need to figure out. I can't just lash out on my partner. Mm-hmm. It's a very touchy conversation. It's very emotional. And I know you practice within the Canadian context, but I do believe that domestic violence is the same regardless of what country you live in. Mm -hmm. What's a really good take-home message? Well, I think if you have a a friend that comes to you and says, you know, I'm in an unsafe relationship, you know, and tells you a bit about what's going on, for sure the first thing you should do is link them up with local resources, a women's shelter or helpline or whatever. So you've raised some really important topics, Tamara, and we've spoken about some big and sensitive issues Are there any resources that our listeners can go to if this has raised anything for them? Yeah, there is uh, 1-800-RESPECT here in Australia and Lifeline 1311. Thanks for coming on to the show. And it was really lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you too. I feel like I know you. I do now. I feel like I know you too. (laughs) Thanks for having me.